Well, good morning. Uh, my name's Tim, and welcome to Greater Alton Church. It's good to have you back and, and joining us in this series uh, called The Q, the, the questions that Jesus asks. And uh, today we're looking at a, a very serious question. Um, I know, As I look at the questions of Jesus, I notice something, and that is that he was full of questions. Man, he had lots of questions, over 307. And uh, they span throughout his life. And today we're looking at a question that were a part of his final words. You know, did you realize that the final words of Jesus are in the form of a question? Let me show you what I'm talking about. We find him in Matthew 24, 45 through 47. Because from noon until three in the afternoon, darkness come over the whole land. About three in the afternoon, Jesus cried out with a loud voice, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? There's the question, see. And when some, so when some of those standing there heard this, they said he is calling Elijah. You know, of all the questions that Jesus asks, this question seems to be different than all the others. See, he's not asking a question as a teaching tool. He's not even asking a question to, of anyone to answer uh, that's at least a disciple or someone in a crowd. No, this question is pointing in a different direction. It's pointing heavenward. And it's this question that stands alone because it expresses a sense of isolation, of rejection. It's engulfed in darkness and despair. This is a disturbing question that's difficult to hear. Jesus asks, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? You know, in this question, there's a sense of panic and anguish and abandonment. And Jesus doesn't banish the darkest moment in his life with a commandment, not like he would if he were in a storm and he'd simply say, peace be still, the storm would end, and Jesus could end what's happening to him on the cross, but he doesn't. No, he lets this question, this difficult question, just hang in the air unbalanced. And yet there's a reason he asks it. And um, he asks it, expecting an answer. And I got to thinking, why does he, Jesus ask this question? Well, let me give you three reasons I believe he's asking this question this morning. We're going to look at what does is, what is this disturbing question reveal? Well, number one, this question reveals this, that Jesus is just like me. He's just like you. You know, people on the cross are confused about this question when they hear it. They hear Eli, Eli. And some of them say, oh, he must be calling Elijah. But Jesus is not calling on Elijah. He's calling on his God. And this question can confuse us too. I mean, this, this question disrupts our view, our, our, our idea of Jesus. Um, I don't want to see Jesus this way. I don't like seeing Jesus this way. I want to see a positive picture of Jesus, not, not something like this. And not only does it confuse our, our view of Jesus, it confuses our view of God. And um, in a way, it, it reminds us of our questions. Many times that we ask, we say, why God? Why is this happening? Or why me, Lord? And, uh, and so we get this idea that if Jesus is asking questions like this, man, what about me? What do I do with the questions I have, with the doubts I have about Christ? 
You see, I don't know of anything that attacks our faith more, my faith more, than suffering. You know, in fact, I realize that suffering is more connected to my doubts than any amount of Christian evidence or any lack of Christian evidence. I mean, let's face it, the truth be told here, most people ask this question, God, where are you or why have you forsaken me? Not because of science, but because of suffering. And especially when it seems like there's no relief in sight. Let me give you some examples. Here's Job. You know, we all know about the sufferings of Job. He lost his family, lost, all, lost everything he owned. Um, physically, he was a mess. And here, here's what he says in Job 13. He says, God, he cries this out, God, why do you avoid me and treat me like I'm your enemy? You know, Job, in the middle of his suffering, he's questioning God's love, his protection, his justice. He's questioning everything. And then in Judges 6, we have another example where Gideon is threshing wheat in an underground threshing floor. And you say, well, don't you, aren't you, when you thresh wheat, don't you do it like outside where the wind can blow it away? Yeah, normally. But at this time, Israel is under, under um, the, the tyranny of Midian. And so the Midianites have basically taken over the, the whole country, the whole nation. And so Gideon is having to not only thresh wheat underground, he's, there's a lot of things the Israelites had to do because the Midianites would come steal their food or, or, or punish them in some way and bother them in some way. And so the Lord appears, it says here, an angel of the Lord appears to Gideon in, in Judges 6. And look what he says here. He says, the, the angel says, the Lord is with you, mighty warrior. And look at Gideon's response. He says, pardon me, my Lord. I thought that's a nice response, huh? Pardon me, my Lord. Gideon replied, but if the Lord is with us, why has all this happened to us? See, he's questioning God's presence, God's power, God's love, God's providence, everything he's questioning because of suffering. And look what he goes on to say. Where are all his wonders that your ancestors told us about, that our ancestors told us about when they said, did not the Lord bring us out of Egypt? And notice he says, but now the Lord is abandoned. He's abandoned us and, and given us to the land of the Midian. He's saying, you know, I know how it used to be, but right now, as we're going through suffering, I question if the Lord is really near if his power is available. And so Jesus, when he asks this question, it's like anybody else. He's asking it like, any, like you do, like I do, like several people have done in the Bible. And, and you wonder sometimes, how human was Jesus? Well, that's very clear from this question. He's, he's totally human. In fact, he reveals with this question his humanity. Not only does he share our flesh and our blood, he shares limitations as well. And I, th I got to thinking about this. You know, Jesus did not use his humanity to conceal his superpowers until he needed them. No, he lets himself go through some suffering. He's human enough to experience moments of despair, moments of doubt, and moments of loneliness. He's revealing the same and experiencing the very same thing you and I experience. And that's, that's very important because a lot of times we wonder, does God even understand what I'm going through? And he absolutely does. And so with a loud voice, Jesus is asking, in the most anguishing hour, he's asking, 
My God, are you there? Because I feel so alone. And so Jesus understands when it's hard, when it's difficult to keep believing, to keep trusting, to keep hoping, to keep obeying Him when you're going through the ringer. Look here at Proverbs 13, it says here, When hope is crushed, the heart is crushed. And I want you to know this morning, if your heart is crushed in some way, if you feel like you're just all alone or your prayers really aren't getting anywhere, and if you wonder if God is near, first of all, I just want you to see that Jesus with this question is saying, I understand what you're going through. I can relate to what you're going through. In fact, I can relate to the hardship you're going through and I can relate to all kinds of things that you're experiencing right now. Here's a second thing I noticed from this question that it reveals that Jesus was forsaken by God and it was for me. It was for you. I got to look at this question and I asked myself, is this an exaggeration? Is Jesus exaggerating what's going on here? Is he simply just feeling forsaken or is he really forsaken? And I've come to the conclusion he's, it's both. He's feeling forsaken because he really is forsaken. Now you think, of, of all people, why would Jesus Christ be the one forsaken? I mean, he didn't do anything wrong. He had no sin. Well, Jesus is forsaken and he feels alone because he has done something to deserve it. Oh, what's he done? Well, let's look at some passages and maybe they'll explain it to us. Here in Galatians 3, look at the Bible says here, the law says, Paul said this, the law says we're under, we, were, we are under a curse for not always obeying it. But Christ took away that curse. How did he do that? He changed places with us. And he put himself under that curse. Another word for curse is torment. So he changes places with us, with us Paul says. And he, he puts himself under the agony and the torment that you and I should be experiencing. The scripture says anyone who is hung on a tree is under a curse. So he's under a curse and God has forsaken him, but not for what he's done, but for what you and I have done. Look what the Bible says here in, in Isaiah 53. Here's a very familiar passage to some of you, and let's look at it with this in mind. The fact is, it was our suffering he took on himself. He bore our pain. But we thought of that God was punishing him, that God was beating him for something he did. But he was being punished for what we did. And he was crushed because of our guilt. We are healed because of his pain. We had all wandered away like sheep. We had gone our own way. And yet the Lord put all our guilt on him. I just want, I noticed how many times the word we and our is in here. It's not just my personal sin, just me, but all the sins of all the world. I think uh, 1 John 2, 2 says that, that he bore the sins of the whole world. So no wonder he's being forsaken by God. And he's done that. He goes through that for you and I. He experiences, Jesus, think about this, Jesus experiences the wrath of God for my sake, for your sake, that was reserved for us. He takes our place. And in order to do that, I mean, you think about it, well, how does He take our place? Well, in order to, do, to take our place, He had to come into our place. Much like uh, if somebody, you've heard of people getting lost in a cave, 
and they have to send rescue people in. You know, the, somebody's wandered, got off, off track or got off the path and, and they've gotten lost and they've, they don't know how to get out and, they've, and people uh, notice these cars are sitting outside the entrance of the cave so they send in a, a, a group of people, some rescuers. Uh, like, G, like, like a rescuer uh, that's rescuing somebody from the ca a cave, Jesus doesn't lower a rope, but he lowers himself into the darkness, into our darkness, into our hell he comes. And just like you, when he gets in this situation, when he gets in this darkness, and he's trying to communicate with those outside, he loses communication just like we, and he goes, God, are you there? In our darkness, God, are you there? Because I feel like, I feel all alone in this. He's crying out, it says in a loud voice, this is awful. So why is Jesus willing to do this? He's willing to do this for you and I to save your life. Look at the Bible says here in, in 2 Corinthians, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Jesus had no sin. So what did God do? He made him sin. How did he do that? By giving us, or giving him our sin. So really there's a question to this or an answer to this question. When Jesus says, why have you forsaken me? You know what the answer is? Because of Tim's sin. Because of Chelsea's sin. Because of Don's sin. Because of Gina's sin. Why has God forsaken Jesus? Because of uh, Bob and Janet's sin. Because of Caitlin's sin. Because of Steve's sin. And the list can just go on and on everyone for God so loved the world yeah he didn't want anyone to perish right it was for everyone for you and for me that's why Jesus is forsaken and when he cries this this question out he, it's really he's, he's uh, describing what he's going through for you for me there's a third, third reason, I think, or a third thing that I notice that this question brings out, and that is, God will be faithful to me. That's what I noticed. I thought this was really, really encouraging. It says, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? I've heard it said that misery loves company, but a lot of times when we're facing misery, it feels like there's no company. Am I right? Yeah. There's nobody. And sometimes you feel like God is far away and He's deserted you. And yet Jesus, when He's asking this question, it's a question of faith or expectation of hope. Because He's not saying, why God? He's saying, my God, why is, have you forsaken me? It's not like Jesus is saying, oh, you know what, maybe we need a little poetry here, so I'm going to start I'll quote Matthew, uh, uh, Psalms 22, because he does quote Psalms 22. It's the very first verse of Psalms 22. I don't know if you are familiar with Psalms 22. We're familiar with Psalms 23, but uh, maybe you're not as familiar with Psalms 22. 
And this, this, this prayer that David, or this song that David has written, is more of a lament. And it's during the time that he is pursued by King Saul, because Saul wants to kill David. So Saul, uh, David finds himself hiding in caves and running for his life. And like David, Jesus quotes this, this psalm that some believe Esther may have quoted and, and prophets like Jeremiah. Jesus quotes, and the crowd hears this, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And so what's Jesus really saying here? Well, he's, he's really appealing to what he believes despite his circumstances. That his God, his Father, his Abba Father is going to take care of him. He appeals to God's faithfulness here. You know, when you read Psalms 22, you wonder, is, is this about David or about Jesus? And there's lots of speculation and it's, it could be about both here. It could be a little bit about David. I just know that some of the references here, when you read this psalm, you get the impression that uh, the narrative of the crucifixion of Jesus is being followed by somebody who seems to be an eyewitness because this psalm is about an execution. And we know that David wasn't executed. But he was going through things that were similar. Again, here's, look at verse 1 again. And here's the house the psalm starts. I thought we'd just look at some of the references in this psalm and notice the references in the crucifixion. Again, Psalms 22. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me? So far from my cries of anguish. Verse 7 through 8, Psalms... And by the way, Jesus did say that. He asked that, he asked that question. Here in Psalms 22, he says, All who see me mock me. They hurl insults, shaking their heads. He trusts in the Lord, they say. Let the Lord rescue him. Let him deliver him since he delights in him. Mark 15 records this. Those who pass by hurl their insults, shaking their heads and saying, So you are going to destroy the temple and build it in three days. Come down from the cross and save yourself. Psalms 22, verse 16. Dogs surround me. A pack of villains encircles me. They pierce my hands and my feet. Again, Mark records, the soldiers nailed Jesus to the cross. And we know that those nails went through His hands and His feet. Verse 18 in Psalms 22. They divided my clothes among them and cast lots for my garment. Matthew records these words. When they had crucified him, they divided up his clothes by casting lots. Back to Psalms 22, verse 15. I'm so thirsty and parched, my tongue sticks to the roof of my mouth. And in John 19, look at these words. Jesus knew that everything was now finished. And to fulfill the scriptures, said, I'm thirsty. What scriptures, what scriptures is he referring to? What, what are the scriptures he's fulfilling? Matthew, it's, it's, it's Psalms 22. You see, and, and the, thing, the reason I bring this out is because every Jew knew that when someone quoted the first line of a psalm, he implied the rest. And we could see that. It's all implied there, clear, clearly. And so Jesus is quoting, as he's quoting this psalm, he's quoting it 
believing and trusting and knowing the end. And he wants you to know in your darkest moments, when life is, seems unfair, when life seems unjust, yes, the end is coming, but it's not tragedy at your end, but triumph. Let's, read, let's keep reading Psalms 22. Let's see how it ends. Because David changes from being sad and just in anguish to trusting the Lord and praising the Lord. Verses 23 through 24 here, it says, You who fear the Lord, praise Him. All you descendants of Jacob, honor Him, revere Him. All you descendants of Israel, for He has not despised or scorned the suffering of the afflicted one. He's not hidden His face from Him, but has listened to His cry for help. And look how the verse, look how this chapter ends, this Psalms 22. Future generations will be told about the Lord. They'll tell people yet to be born about His righteousness. Look at this, that He has finished it. And when you read John chapter 19, verse 30, look what it says here. It says, when He had received the drink, Jesus said, it is finished. And with that, He bowed His head and gave up His spirit. I think it's so encouraging. Jesus is on the cross going through agony, going through despair, going through a time where He's got lots of questions just like you and I do when we go through some times of suffering, some, some times of discouragement, disappointment. And when he dies, he calls on God for, for help. But when he dies, what follows is the resounding presence of God. There's an earthquake. It shakes the, the place. Graves are opened in the cemetery. The temple, the curtain in the temple, 90 feet tall, rips begins to rip in two. Not from the bottom to the top, because any human could do that, but from the top on down. It's, it's just, what's this all saying? It's saying, I am here. That's what God is saying. He's saying, God is, He's on the move. And He brings that help to Jesus as He dies. I think about Isaiah 59 where it says, Is, is the arm of the Lord too short to save? And what's the answer? No. Is his ear too dull to hear? No. Then what's the problem? Something is separating you from God, is what Isaiah says. It's not that he can't reach down. It's not that he can't hear you. But there is something. He's still close, but there's something separating you. And whatever it is, he says, it's sin. And by the way, it's, it's such a separation that the Son of God who walked on water, cleansed the leper, raised the dead, would panic on the cross. Would panic at that separation. Why would He do this? He does, he does not want you to experience God far away. He doesn't want you to experience separation from God. I love this in Psalms 34. Just a couple of chapters or a few chapters away, David pins this. When someone is hurting or brokenhearted, the eternal moves in close and revives him of his pain. Is God there at the cross? Yes. Jesus feels so far away. He's separated from God. But God moves in. 
He call, Jesus calls for help and God moves in and helps him. Let me ask you something. Let me ask all the dads out there. If your son or daughter was ever frightened and asked where and yelled out, let's say from the bedroom or, or outside, where are you, dad? Daddy, I need you. What would you do? Would you ignore it? Of course not. And when Jesus cries out, why have you forsaken me? He's calling out in this psalm. This is what I'm going through. They've divided up my clothes. They've, they've, hung, they've nailed me to a cross. They, they, they shake their heads and ridicule me. I'm just feeling so... Uh, the, the, there are, my enemies are all around me. They're closing in on me. I have no hope. You've got to help me. Please don't ignore my anguish. I know you're listening and I know you're coming. Please come quickly. And as soon as Jesus dies, the Lord shows up. He doesn't leave him hanging there all alone. And I want you to know this morning, God will not leave you hanging anywhere all alone. He won't do that to you. Look, what, look at this passage here in Hebrews 12. Let us encourage you. We must never stop looking to Jesus. The Bible's saying here, you need to consider and look at Jesus. Why? He's the leader of our faith. And He is the one who makes our faith complete. And look what it says. He suffered death on the cross. But He accepted, he accepted the shame of the cross as if it were nothing because of the joy He could see waiting for Him. Is he saying, oh, it was no big deal? No, he's not saying that. Oh, it didn't hurt at all. No, he's not saying that. He's not, he, he went through agony. He said, but the joy that he knew was coming, the end that was coming, the real end, not the pit stop before the end, but the real end just outweighed the sorrow. The joy was overwhelming. He says, and now, here's the end, and now, he is sitting at the right side of God's throne. He's in the presence of God. And the Bible's telling us this morning, and I want you to know you I want you to know this morning, when you hear this question from the cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It's it's being it's as you hear it this morning, just realize a crowd heard that, John heard that. Mary heard that. And as now, and now, as you hear that question, let it encourage you to know that Jesus understands what you're going through. And He isn't going, he isn't going you're not going to stay there. He doesn't want you to stay there. That, he, that by the way, He went through it for you. And He will go through it with you when He becomes you're God. You see, you got to ask yourself, you know, are my, are my questions, sometimes my prayers, think about how this would change your prayer life. If you, instead of say, you know, um, God, why is this happening to me? It's like, I don't even know if we, I've said that, I've said that too, you know, and I don't even know if I'm really saying it to God. I kind of am, but I'm really saying it to myself. God, why is this happening? I'm frustrated, right? How would it change if you said, my God, why is this happening? Just think about the significance of that. Just that little adjustment in your prayer life. Because you've now went from somebody who's just saying, God, what's going on to, you're my God. I don't know, understand what's going on. And I don't even have to. Because I know you're faithful. 
That's, that's how a Christian is. That's how a person as a believer is when God is their God. Is he your God? Have you made that commitment? Is he really your God or is he just a God to you? He wants to be more than just a God. He wants to be yours. So I ask you, let this question, let, let God this morning, if, if, if you're not sure if you're a Christian, I would like you to email us at greateraltonchurch.org and if you would like to sit down and study the Bible with somebody, why not? Open the Bible. We'll, we'll, send, we'll get somebody here and, and we'll sit down and look at the Bible with you so you can know, you can know that God loves you and you can know you can have peace with God. Um, maybe you're a Christian and, and um, you know, uh, you're sitting at home and you're going, you know what, I need to, I, I've, I've, I've forsaken God more than he's forsaken me when I stop and think about it. Well, what can I do, Tim? Well, how about, you know, if you, if you want to, you can, you can send an email in to greateraltchurch.org and say, look, I've decided I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to rededicate my life to Christ. And I want you to know, we have a prayer ministry here that prays for those kind of responses. And, uh, you know, nobody will be looking at it going, oh, who is this? And what, you know, no, we give this to the prayer team and let them pray. If we're going to talk about you, I want you to know here at Greater Alton, we're going to bring you before God and talk about you there. And so um, I don't know what you need to do this morning. I just know that God wants to change, wants to change you. And um, he wants to help you in your time of suffering. And God bless you. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you for these words. Father, this question is probably the most disturbing question of all that I, that I hear, not only from the, my lips, but from the lips of Jesus. They mess with me. They disturb me. And Father, I, and sometimes they indict me because I've had that same question many times. I've asked you that. You know, why? Why do you, I feel so far away? And I know somebody may be watching this morning that's feeling the same way. They feel like you're miles away. Would you let them know, Father, that you understand those moments? And, and you know, they, maybe they, need, they, they, they surely, Father, I know that there's times when I feel far away from you. It's because I've, I'm harboring some sin in my life. I'm I've got something I'm not dealing with and I need to deal with and you want me to deal with it. Because sin separated your son from you, Father. I know sin separates us too. And so, Father, help us deal with it. Jesus dealt with all my sin. Help me deal with mine. And help, me de help me deal with ours. Help us deal with ours, Father. But help us understand that Jesus understands and that he was forsaken. He went through such agony for each of us. And let that encourage us, Father, and to encourage us to see how much you love us, how much you're for us, and how faithful you are that when we call upon you, you will come and you will come and save us. Father, thank you for uh, those listening and those watching today. I pray you bless them. Bless them uh, with your peace. I pray in Christ's name. Amen.